Hi everybody. So recently I've started going live about once a week, usually on Tuesdays in my Facebook group. And I've had people asking me to put those on the podcast. They're just really kind of short little trainings for writers. So that's what I'm going to do. This is me putting my live on the podcast. This is obviously the audio version, but you can watch live or watch the video either on my YouTube account or in the prolific author group on Facebook. You can just search for that. And I also have uh, the link to it in the show notes. And I also go live to YouTube. So anyway, that's what this is. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you are able to learn something from this little training. How's it going? Um, I'm really happy to be here today and we are going to talk about how to open your reader subconscious mind. Kind of sounds like a heavy woo-woo sort of subject but it's actually really fun and it's really easy and it's something that you should be consciously doing as a writer. Um, before we get to that though, um, let me just say, hold my banner here, if you are at all interested in um, finding out where you are right now in your author's journey and where you need to go, you can book a free strategy call with me. Basically just what I do is I find out what you're up to in your business and uh, give you some kind of strategy tips and, and kind of lay out where you need to go next in order to build your author career. Okay, so it's totally free and uh, you can book that with me anytime by going to bit.ly forward slash author strategy. Okay, so let me tell you how I even came to this topic of um, opening your reader subconscious mind. So I was following an entrepreneur named Colin Boyd. Now he is somebody who helps um, coaches and um, teachers and things like that who do online courses, sell these courses. And so a lot of his techniques wouldn't really work for our books because they're more for large ticket items, you know, that are in the hundreds of dollars. And of course our books do not cost that much, or if they do, that's why we're not selling any. Um, but he talked about this, about how Anybody we meet, I mean, it's not just our readers, but anyone we talk to, anyone we interact with, we have the ability as human beings to sort of peel back their conscious mind and speak to them on a subconscious level. And of course, that's not something that we're usually aware of. That's why it's called the subconscious. And it's, it sounds like a little bit creepy and manipulative when you put it that way, but I promise it's not. It's something that happens naturally and that we are all very, very capable of doing. So I want to talk to you about how to do that with your readers. And the reason that's important is because readers... Um, they're going to experience a story through their emotions, which comes from a, an, an, a subconscious level rather than a conscious level. Now I had planned to teach you this live, which is of course why I'm here on the live, but I'm kind of going to do just a little tiny bit of a cop out here because I've had so many zoom meetings and, um, calls and things like that over the last two days that I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. So instead of doing that, I'm going to do a pre-recorded video. Um, it's still me talking, but I actually teach this in the first um, module of my course. Now, anyone who's been following me for a while knows that I've been putting together this course for you guys and um, it's almost done. I'm going to be launching it in the next four to six weeks probably. And so um, this is one of the introductory videos to that course. It, Like I said, it's in the first module and I'm just going to play that for you here so that I don't have to actually repeat it live and, and hurt my voice. Okay. But we're, the whole video is about how and why you should be um, opening up your reader's subconscious minds. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. So let's just pull this up. All right. Welcome to video three. We're going to talk about opening your reader's subconscious minds. So let me ask you, 
Do you want to deeply affect your readers? Do you want to know that every story you write resonates with them and affects them deeply on an emotional level? I'm assuming the answer is yes, or else you wouldn't be here. So what if I told you that all of us, every human being, has the ability when we communicate with others. So understand, I don't just mean when you're writing a story, when you're actually having a conversation with other people like I am with you now. When we're talking to people, we have the ability to kind of pull back their conscious mind and speak directly to their subconscious mind. It's true. I learned this from Colin Boyd. Okay, it's a real thing. But how do we do that? Well, let me illustrate. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm first going to just tell you really quickly what happened. And then I'm going to present it to you in two different ways. Okay, so hang with me and do this exercise. Um, so there was a woman, we're going to call her Jane, and she posted something online, say on Facebook. And it was just something, her belief about something. Maybe it was political, it doesn't really matter what it was, but it was something that she believed. Well, someone she knew, it was, say, her cousin. We're going to call him Tom. He did not agree with what she posted, and he immediately started pretty much hating on her, like really kind of troll stuff, being super nasty, telling her what a terrible person she was because she believed that. Well, in response to that, not only did she defend herself, but other people who knew her and saw that this was going on, her husband, her friends, her family, they jumped in and started defending her and kind of yelling at Tom for being mad at her. Tom, in response to that, felt really ganged up on, right? Because he commented on her post and then all of these people are suddenly, you know, kind of yelling at him online. And he immediately got really defensive and, um, you know, kind of butthurt, <laughs> if you will, and just started really acting like the victim and, and acting like everybody, the world was unfair and everybody was being mean to him. Okay. Now, let's say that I'm telling the story to someone and I'm trying to tell someone what my reaction to Tom's behavior is. Okay. My reaction to that is that I'm actually kind of frustrated with Tom. Even if Jane and some of her family, maybe they weren't as diplomatic as they could have been. Maybe they got nasty right back, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that that is okay or not okay, but my problem comes with the fact that Tom started it. <laughs> and after kind of stirring the pot and causing the drama, he started acting like the victim. So it's kind of your classic, they can dish it out, but they can't take it mentality, okay? Now, how I just presented that to you is the first type, okay? How did you react to that? I'm sure that most of you can identify with it on some level because we've all seen that sort of thing on Facebook. Maybe you've even been involved where somebody hated on one of your posts. I mean, that's happened to most of us at some point, right? So we've all seen that kind of thing and we all have our own thoughts about it. and. Um, even some emotions about it, depending on, you know, whether that triggered you, whether you've been in that situation before. But I'm going to tell you that the way that I just presented that story, it wasn't good or bad, but it was also kind of the epitome of telling, right? Rather than showing, we say that a lot in writing, tell versus show. Okay, I just told you what happened. And like I said, you're, you're processing it mostly with your conscious mind. There are a few emotions there, but they're not super deep. And I'm not saying that, you know, to belittle anyone's emotion or, or to make a judgment about your emotions. I'm talking on a, on a chemical level. Okay, this, that wouldn't have landed super deeply with you because you're just processing it with your conscious mind and what I told you. Okay. Um, now I'm going to present it to you in a little bit different way. This is the second way. Not long after I heard the story, it actually happened to um, a family member of mine. So I was kind of close to it. And not long after it happened, I heard a story um, on a history podcast that was about Cortez, the conquistador, and Montezuma. So here's what happened. Cortez had been there with the Aztecs for a while. They had definitely had some conflicts, but at this particular point, everyone was pretty much allies, but there was just a lot of tension still. And Cortez decided, for no particularly good reason, that he wanted to kill Montezuma and all his men. 
So he hatched a plan. He decided that he was going to invite them to a feast and, you know, kind of really flatter them a lot and tell them that the feast was being held in their honor, you know, so that they would come. And then when everybody's guard was down and everyone was, you know, having a good time at the feast, he would give his men the signal and they would kill everybody. Now, uh, you may want to make note of the fact that Cortez, I mean, he was considered a great man in his day and we learn about him in history, but <laughs> he might not have been the brightest crayon in the box. Um, these are Aztec warriors, right? And in terms of hand-to-hand -hand conflict, they were probably better trained at it than his men were, but um, he was a very arrogant man and he didn't take that into account. So he went forward with his plan. Um, he invited everyone to dinner and, you know, lots of virtues being extolled and, and drinks being had and uh, everybody was kind of slapping each other on the back and feasting and having a good time. And then when, you know, he was ready, he gave his signal and his men started slaughtering the Aztecs. And I'm sure it worked at first, you know, I'm sure there was a few of them that were killed because he had the element of surprise and they weren't expecting it. But pretty quickly, the Aztecs realized what was happening and they grabbed their weapons and started fighting back. And in pretty short order, it was Cortez's men, not Montezuma's, that were being slaughtered, right? Again, these are Aztec warriors. Well, Cortez got all frustrated and defensive about that, and he was really mad that his plan didn't work. And he turned to Montezuma and started blaming him, <laughs> even though it was Cortez who hatched this murderous plot. And he said to Montezuma, look, look, just look what your men are doing to mine. And Montezuma answered, if you had not begun it, my men would not have acted so. You have brought this upon yourselves. Now, here's the thing, guys. If I go around, we're going to go back to the story about um, the Facebook post, right, and the person that was being a troll. If I am explaining that to someone and I say, yeah, but Tom started it, and that just makes me angry and frustrates me, if anything, that probably turns most people off because you know, it's, it's real life drama and they understand that you're frustrated, but those are negative emotions and people just don't respond to those very well. Not to mention if I use a phrase like he started it, I sound like a two-year-old that's justifying something I did, right? Or something that, you know, Jane's family did in, in defending her. Um, but if I tell the story about Montezuma and say, it's like this, then when you get to that last line where Montezuma says that, that's, that's a wise, wise words for that situation. People go, Oh, yeah, I get it. I get that Tom was kind of being a chump, you know. Do you see the difference? I mean, which of those two stories did you react to more? It's the second one. I promise it's the second one if you listen to both of them, okay? Because what you do is you process the second story with your subconscious mind, not with your conscious mind. This is something that's, you know, we're not, we're using this word a lot, but we're not really conscious of it while it's happening. It's not something we're actively doing. That's the point, right? So let's move into this a little bit. When you tell someone something, they process it with their conscious mind, which means with their thoughts, with their logic, and with, you know, maybe some surface emotions, but not deep emotions. But you process story from your emotion center, which is your subconscious mind. So the answer to the question, how do we open our reader's subconscious minds, is with story. That's how we do it, okay? So remember Montezuma. <laughs> Always remember Montezuma. And you want to be connecting with your reader's subconscious mind through story. And, and really, when we say through story, I mean, that's the vehicle we do it in. But really, it's connecting with their emotions. And me telling you how I feel and how Tom was acting, like my judgment of him, how he was acting, is not going to connect with you on an emotional level. It'll connect with you on a logical level, with your thoughts, okay? But telling the story 
about Montezuma. Um, that's going to connect on a more emotional level. So that's what we're going for. I also want to point out here that it's a very visceral story. Okay, most of us are never going to be in a place in our lives where we have to defend ourselves against Aztec wares, right? Most of us just aren't going to be any anything like that. But that's kind of the point. We're taking a story that's more visceral. And by that, I mean, yes, more emotional, but it's also more, it's appealing to our animal side, right? Trying to survive blood, you know, clawing our way toward air, that, that sort of mentality. Um, and that creates adrenaline and that creates emotion. Okay, so to take a story that is heightened for us, it, it also it makes the, the lesson or the theme of the story land and connect with readers more deeply. Okay, so the next thing you need to know, you, you now understand how to, reader, to open a reader's subconscious mind, but this is the next thing you need to understand. Human beings are wired to look for patterns and make connections, okay? We do that naturally. That's how our brains are made. I like to use comedy as an example. So I'm gonna give you a joke that is like pretty much the stupidest joke you could ever think of. Um, it's like a bubblegum wrapper joke, okay? But just to use it as an example. So the joke is this. Um, why did the two elephant friends not want to go to the beach together? And the answer, the punchline, is because they only had one pair of trunks, okay? Now, it's not a funny joke. If you laughed at that, I'm officially judging you. But um, <laughs> I want you to kind of geek out with me for a minute and think about all the connections your brain had to make in order to understand that joke, okay? And they're pretty simple ones, but just think about it. You had to understand that elephants have trunks, and by that I mean like their nose, right? Their long noses. We had to understand that because there's two elephants who are friends, there would be two trunks, a pair of trunks. We have to understand what a pair of trunks is in terms of the piece of clothing, okay? That it's, um, we call it a pair of shorts or, or whatever, but it's really one garment made for one person. So if they only have one, we have to understand that the other animal, the other elephant would be naked, which is not actually a problem for elephants, but um, you get the idea. We have to understand why they would need swimming suits to go to the beach to begin with. Now, all of that seems stupid. Of course, we understand that because it's part of our culture, but our brains need to have a basis for this. If you were to tell that joke to some Aztecs, they wouldn't get it, right? We have to understand all of these things and then our brain makes connections. And that's what comedy is. It actually takes a lot of intelligence to understand comedy and it takes even more to write it, right? Because all comedians do is present one situation and then another situation and then they compare them in a way that's funny and we have to understand every single connection in order to get the joke. And there are a lot of them. So when we're doing that, there's just millions of neurons firing in our brains and, and making connections for us to understand that. And guys, that's what we do with stories too, okay? We all know that there are no more original stories, okay? There are templates for stories that have been told over and over and over again. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, um, you know, the whole man versus man, man versus himself, man versus nature, but, but they're all templates of stories that have been told. So what are we even doing here, right? What are we doing when we write stories? This is what we're doing. We are illustrating an emotion, usually through a lesson. So we're, we're, gi we're giving a story which gives a lesson, and through that lesson, it's a very emotional lesson, okay? So we're, we're illustrating an emotion using different circumstances within the same template. That's really important for you to understand. We also do this through theme, but we, we do it through everything in our stories, okay? And the reason that I'm telling you this is because people who are hardcore pantsers, what they most often say is that they don't want to be constrained in the way they write by using templates or um, any kind of system or, you know, story beats or anything like that. And that's really a flawed way of thinking about it. There are certain times that that is a totally valid argument, and I'll get into that later. But overall, 
you have to understand that, okay, first of all, genre is a constraint. That is a system that we have to work within, okay? But the point is, human beings are wired to look for these patterns. They're wired to look for these connections, okay? And you need to give them those in order for them to really deeply connect with the story. And all stories, no matter what you write, no matter how you write it, is something that's already been written before, at least in its template, okay? So not necessarily, you might come up with something that's never been written in terms of um, the situation or the premise or the character, you know, that's fine, that's totally doable. But overall, the story is already part of a template that your readers as human beings are familiar with. We are, I'm gonna say it again, illustrating an emotion through a lesson using different circumstances in the same template. Okay, so stop being averse to templates. <laughs> That's basically what I'm telling you here. Stop being averse to templates. And what I usually tell those people is that I'm not going to tell you what to write. It's not about telling you what to write. You need to come up with the most original story, the most original premise, plot, characters, all of that. And that is all you and your creative muse, okay? What, what I'm actually going to teach you is how to present that story, whatever you've come up with, to the reader in a way that they are already wired to connect with it, okay? Why is that important? Well, guess what? Every human being absorbs story in exactly the same way. I'm gonna say that again. Every human being absorbs story in exactly the same way. And the sequence for that is what's sometimes called Campbellian fiction. Now, Joseph Campbell famously uh, came up with the, you know, kind of presented the uh, hero's journey to the world, right? He did not come up with it in the sense that he did not invent it. Stories were using that long before we wrote stories down, right? But he was able to put it together for us and show us what it was. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. Sometimes I get a little bit of pushback and people say, well, yeah, but what about, what about stories that don't use the Campbellian template? There are stories out there that are not written that way and they're right, there, there definitely are. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. Even if stories are not written this way, the human mind still absorbs story in the same way. Okay, so let's say you have a template that jumps all over the place and, and again, just to use the Campbell template, let's say his, um, his story part points will label them one through 12. And this other story over here jumps around. It goes one, eight, six, four, three, you know, all over the place. It doesn't matter, okay? The human mind is still gonna absorb story in the same way. They're still gonna pick out who the character is, what their conflict is, what their resistance to the conflict is, what the turning points are, you know what I mean? Because that's the way that we're wired to do things. But what I will say is that it's harder if the story does not follow this template, okay? You're making your reader's mind work to find the story. So why not present your story to the reader, as I said, in the exact way that their minds are already wired to absorb it. That just makes it easier for them to read and it makes the, and it makes them connect with it on a deeper emotional level. And that's, again, it's something that's subconscious. They don't understand this. Most readers, even if they love a story, they can't tell you, at least not from a, you know, brain chemistry sort of way, why they love it, okay? They're not gonna tell you that it's written in a way that they absorbed it easily. <laughs> You're never gonna see that in a review. What they're gonna say is they love the characters, they love the ending, um, this made them feel emotions, you know, that, that's what they're gonna say because that's, that's the context that they're thinking about it in. But if you really want to be the most successful writer that you can be, you need to be connecting with your readers in this way. And the easiest way to do that is to do it in a way that's been proven that human beings absorb story. So once again, templates do not constrain you, they free you to connect with your readers. And guys, this is something um, 
uh, I mentioned that I spent about a year and a half in the entrepreneurial sector. And this is something that I learned that is just understood by other entrepreneurs. And that is that operating within constraints actually enhances your creativity. And I know that's counterintuitive, but it's true. Think about it this way. If you don't have any rules or any constraints, including genre, you can just write any old thing you want, right? It's almost, it makes you almost kind of a lazy writer, you know, on a, again, not saying anything about you, but on a brain chemistry kind of level, because you can just kind of go wherever you want and, and write whatever you want and let the story meander. You're not having to think overly hard about the story, but if you have really rigid constraints that you have to operate within, then you have to work to make that story awesome within those constraints. Okay. So it actually makes you more resourceful, makes you a better problem solver and actually enhances your creativity. Okay. So my, my whole point here is you got to get on board with templates. Okay. <laughs> they, they do not constrain you. I promise they free you because they force you to be more creative, but it also frees you to connect with your readers where they're already at. Okay. You have to understand that. Like I said before, it's not about what you write, but how you present it. And this is a little bit of a mind shift, a mindset shift. <laughs> Try not to accidentally swear there. Um, writing for yourself is perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm here to support you if that's what you want to do. In fact, no matter what you do, writing will always be at least partly for you because if you weren't writing for yourself, if you didn't feel called to do this, you wouldn't be here. But once again, if you want to make this into a business, you have to shift your mind a little bit and understand that you have to serve your reader. And this, again, it is not unique to authors. Okay. Any entrepreneur, any, any business owner knows that if they want their customers to buy their products, they have to serve their customers. They have to give the customer what they want. Okay. So writing for yourself is all well and good, but if you want to make money at this and turn it into a business, you have to serve your reader and the reader wants a certain type of story. They want to be able to absorb the story. They want to be able to feel all the feelings with the story and they want it usually within the framework of a genre and maybe even in the framework of certain tropes within that genre. Okay. So I, I'm going to challenge you here not to see that as a bad thing. Okay. It's actually about you being able to connect with your readers and get on the same level with them and understand what they love and why they love it. And, and that's the best way for you to connect with them as human beings through your writing. Now, the next thing you need to understand is that everything I've laid out here, opening their subconscious minds, um, you know, doing, writing the story in the way that they will naturally connect with it, all of that is very difficult to do without some kind of planning. And this is something that I hear from other authors who are already pretty successful. Most of us start off as pantsers. I mean, we kind of have to because we at some point sit down and say, I want to be a writer and we start writing a story, but we don't know anything about story craft and we don't know anything about genre a lot of times other than maybe really high level like most of us understand what romance versus sci-fi is but that's it you know we don't we don't know anything deeper than that um and we just sit down and start writing and, and keep writing until until we get there right so that's that's the definition of pantsing and not doing any planning but what every author who is successful that i've talked to has told me that is that once they decided that this was going to be a business and they wanted to make their living doing this they came to understand really quickly that they needed to do some planning and once again starting to sound like a broken record, but all entrepreneurs understand this. Okay. No matter what market you're in, no matter what business you're in, if you want, um, consistent and recurring revenue, you have to put processes in place so that you can duplicate what you've already done. Okay. 
In other words, there has to be planning. There's no way around it if you want to make this into a business and live off your royalties. Now, this does not mean that you can't pants, be a pantser or a discovery writer, and it doesn't mean that you don't. One thing that I learned when I started working with other authors and helping them to write their books is that, I mean, I'm a hardcore outliner, but I learned that I pants a lot more of my story than I ever realized before. I would have sworn up and down that I did not pants, I was just an outliner. And then I started to realize, actually I do, I pants a lot of it, okay? And this is why the whole plotting versus pantsing conflict, that fight is like the stupidest fight ever, guys. Number one, Everybody does both. I, I don't care what people say, everybody does both. It's a continuum and everybody falls somewhere on the continuum, which means you might be a lot more of a, an outliner than a pantser, or you might be a lot more of a discovery writer than an outliner, but everybody does both, okay? And the second thing that I really, okay, come back to me if you're drifting, this is something you need to understand. Plotting and pantsing when it comes to the processes in your brain are exactly the same thing, okay? exactly the same thing. Now, I know that they're different outwardly, and that's fine. The biggest difference is when we do them and how quickly we do them. But in terms of what's actually happening in your brain, it is the exact same thing. So it's really stupid to fight about it. And I especially want the people who are pantsers out there to really get on board with this, because I can teach you to be a plotter and an outliner, but you're still going to be doing the same thing you did when you were pantsing. You're just going to do it faster, okay? Now, I'll get into that as we go along, but that's something you need to understand. I also, let me put it this way. Outliners are pantsers who do all the pouncing for their outline rather than while they're writing their story. Pantsers are outliners who keep it all in their heads rather than outlining first. But again, exact same process. I want you to resolve to learn to do this everything I'm about to lay out for you in this course so that you can write more compelling stories, serve your reader, get more sales, and create more mega fans. Okay, that is how you will build a sustainable author business. Your readers are looking for stories that are cohesive, self-contained, and deeply interconnected. Okay, and I'm going to show you exactly how to do that. If you're freaking out because you don't know how to do this, I'm going to show you. That's what you're going to learn. But this sort of thing, that kind of deep interconnection within a story, that cannot be done accidentally. Really, it can't. You have to do it purposefully. But whether you're a plotter or a pantser, I will show you how to do it and how to adapt it to your process, okay? So we've got a couple more videos that I want you to go through before we actually jump into the planning, but I just want you to understand this. You need to open your mind in order to open your reader's subconscious minds, okay? So let's uh, hop over to the next video. Okay, I hope that you um, found some value in that. As I said, that's one of the first videos in the course, um, which will be opening its doors in the next, I don't know, exactly four to six weeks. Um, but I hope that you can, you're kind of starting to understand how you can use story to open your readers' subconscious minds and really um, tap into their emotions because that's what's going to make them mega fans and it's gonna make them come back to you as an author over and over again, okay? Um, thank you for all the comments. I loved reading them. Uh, hi, Liesl. I hope you're well and safe. I, I am, and I hope you are too. Um, so hard to find an agent. Yeah, that's something maybe we should discuss later on. Um, your ideas come to you in your sleep. Uh, I'm actually jealous of that. I'm somebody who doesn't remember my dreams very often. So <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, uh, keep just kind of stay tuned, and I will let you know when my course is ready to roll out for anybody who's interested in it. And um, yeah, just keep this in mind as you go throughout your week and have a great week of writing. I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Me again. 
Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.